Cairo News Radio. I'm Spike O'Neill. We're sitting in today for Brandy Cruz. And joining me, a blast from the past, a good friend, a, a, a warm security blanket for those who have a different <laughs> ideology than I share, um, Mr. Jack Stein, back. Where Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Can you hear my drops? Are my drops coming through? I it, thought we were going to have music. We, 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 did you not hear the music? I, I, I wrote, didn't hear I, anything. I wrote it myself. I, I played every instrument. <laughs> oh, tragic. It was I didn't fabulous. Hear anything, boss. We had, we no, had I, some music. We did have some music. Actually, the boss, uh, Brian, our program director, picked the music himself because he didn't trust what I would do. And I respect okay. that um, <laughs> because he knows us and he knows what we're capable of. Uh, we, yeah. want, we want to thank everybody uh, who's joining us today for giving us the time. And we hope that you'll stick around for the next three hours. It's not the show you are accustomed to. It's probably not the show you expect, but it's the show you need. It's going to be some points of view that you may not have heard before, or maybe you have and just dismissed them out of hand. I'd ask that you keep an open mind. Share with us your Jeez, points. Like, are, this, I feel like you're, this is like a funeral or something. We're just well, doing what? radio, buddy. Dude, well, <laughs> fair enough. Come on, man. What do you want to talk about, Jack Stein? No, go well, right ahead, okay. man. By all means, jump on, man. I just before we get into the before we get into the Google stuff, I gotta that that statue that was stolen in Auburn. I gotta ask you a question, Spike, because I'm not a I'm not a man's man, so uh-huh. I don't really know. I don't really know moving, cutting. How much does a bronze statue weigh? And what? How would you physically move a? St- I was looking at the pictures of the statue that was taken in Auburn. How right. could you? How could you physically do that? Well, it I doesn't would, make it. That's got to be two hundred pounds, right? Three hundred pounds of just solid bronze. Probably right? more. I would say meth is a cruel mistress, um, and it, <laughs> and it can motivate the human body to accomplishments far beyond our wildest dreams. Um, I would, right. I would venture to guess that it was probably not a one man job. I don't think it was a fraternity prank or a high school goof them up i honestly think somebody's probably going to probably try to melt the thing down and sell it for metal sell it for scrap really i I think stealing that statue saved a light a city light from having all the copper ripped out of it saved a new home under construction (laughs) from having all the plumbing ripped out of it and sold for scrap i'm serious these are troubled times man people are resorting to the weirdest the weirdest ways to make I'd say ends meet, but when you're throwing money at your drug habit, I don't think it's going to make an ends meet. I think it's meeting your end. <laughs> right. <laughs> but this is my, I was looking at the statue. It's a beautiful statue of a little girl. Yeah. And Spike, you know my history. I've got years of drug addiction, you know, far behind me. But I, the idea that at my very lowest as a drug addict, that I would see a 500 pound bronze statue of a little girl and think to myself, I, I can make money off I of that. I can melt that down. <laughs> right, right. All of a sudden, you've got an alchemy degree, and you're right. going to set up a, a a garage kiln behind somebody else's garage because you don't own a garage. You're right. a, you're a junkie, uh, and 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 I, I I don't mean to make light of drug addiction. I oh, know you folks, can. It's fine. I, I know, I, but I know <laughs> folks out there are are fighting and struggling their way through, and not everybody who's got a drug problem, you know, it, chose that life. A lot of them just got caught by choices they made. I think. It's it's a weird world we're living in, my friend. A weird, weird, wonderful world. You know, it's not like the Griffey statue down in front of the stadium where you know that was just some clown who had too many beers and the M's right. didn't put across the winning run in the bottom of the ninth. He was ticked, so he broke the bat <laughs> off as a sign of frustration with upper management and their inability to pick right. up a cleanup hitter. Right. You know, whatever. This is just this is this is you know good thinking gone bad. People are hurt. How people are hurting. 
how do you okay speaking of people hurting by the way do you think it could have been one of the google employees who was like laid <laughs> off maybe <laughs> um one of the, one of the microsoft I, employees i don't mean to stereotype but i think most mm-hmm. of the people let go from google had trouble carrying their own box of belongings to their car i don't know that they're going to be hauling 300 pound statues around town in the cover of darkness I really don't. Maybe, maybe the team, yeah. maybe the Google team, you know, was a group thing, team, team effort, team, team exercise. Well, you ever seen right. the movie The Apprentice with, uh, yes. or, the, or the, no, the, was it the internship with, uh, with Vince Vaughn and wh- whichever Wilson it was because they're interchangeable. I think it was, yeah, Owen. It was Lou, oh, oh, and okay. Where they, you know, all yeah. those little goofy team activities, you know, they had to go out and th- I think that's probably, if, if somebody from a tech job that got laid off stole that statue, it was one last ditch team effort to try to save their jobs, to show the kind of initiative <laughs> that really cuts through in that sector. So when I found out about all these layoffs from Google, Microsoft, Meta, you know, all these major companies, yeah. I was on Twitter over the weekend and, you know, minding my own business. And all of a sudden I just start seeing people saying, I loved my time at Google. I loved my time at Microsoft. I loved my time at Meta. And at first I thought, oh, this is a weird, I thought maybe an upper management person got laid off. And then it started coming in by the hundreds on yeah. Twitter. I just got laid off. And I went, oh no, what What happened to all these people? And there's a lot of speculation. Spike, you got any of the details on this? Some people are saying it's the economy. Maybe these companies overextended themselves. But what's the, what are the fine details on this story? What I'm hearing is a combination of all those factors. During the pandemic, tech especially had the ability to hire remotely. Most tech jobs can be done from whatever you know computer you're sitting in front of, whatever laptop, whatever Starbucks you're near can be your office when you work in tech, right? So these guys had the ability to expand beyond belief, not to mention interest was at zero. Money for expansion was free. And that, that applies to even monster companies like Google and Microsoft and Instagram and all, even the monsters, they borrow money for free. They, they know the value of being able to build on the, at someone else's expense. And they over, mm-hmm. they overextended themselves. And the, this global economic crisis that we find ourselves in, and it's, it's not an American problem. It is by no means other countries. Some are doing better than America. America is doing better than a lot of other places in the world. But that being said, this, this recession is coming down the pipe and it's going to be tough and smart people get ahead of it. And that's what these tech companies are doing. They're they're seeing the error of their overexpansion, and they're mm-hmm. cutting back because the the economy trouble is coming, and coupled with they they reach too far. Twelve thousand layoffs though is a little bit more than cutting back though, right? I mean that, yeah, well, that's well, a massive well, amount of. But you know. but they have how many employees? Half a million. Now, okay, globally, point, right, right, point. and it's it's I think it's like almost nine hundred in Seattle. Like eight hundred and seventy-eight wow. in wow. Seattle itself, and that doesn't seem like a lot. But if you're one of those people, it's a it's a it's a crusher. Yeah, and I don't think they want to go work for Twitter, right? Well, <laughs> I have a friend who left a very very good recruiting job in the tech sector. She left a very good job to go to Twitter and be a high end recruiter for Twitter, and then Elon got involved. So now she's had mm-hmm. to she got let go one of the first waves, last one in, first one out mentality. But she's been able to find, you know, employment in her field because she's eminently overqualified. Hey, can I just backpedal for one second? You said, yeah, some, yeah. You said something I've never heard any human say before. And, yeah. I, and I don't want to just fly by without drawing attention to it. You said you this weekend, you were on Twitter minding your own business. <laughs> now, I thought, the, I thought the whole business model of Twitter was minding other people's business. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. The thing about Twitter that is so great is that you get to you get to see people's initial thoughts. But then so when people post a thought, people comment underneath it. Right. And that's where you get the real the good good of humanity. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Chris <laughs> Martin, are you on are you on Twitter at all? Do you use Twitter at all? Uh, only when I have to for work. I actually I really yep. hate it, actually. Okay. I wish I wish I was. I know that right. it's a platform we have to evolve to as a as a communication medium. I understand the need of it and the value of it. But my last tweet was a picture of me and Don Rickles, and it was taken in real time. That tells you how long it's been since I've been on my Twitter account. My Twitter account so, has been ghosted like an, a guy with zits at the prom. <laughs> but you get to see on Twitter how people actually feel about whatever issue it is, but not from the the blue check marks. I'm talking about John or, or Jane on right. Twitter, random average, person Average Joe, yeah. And from what I have seen uh, on Twitter, the average American is a hateful and spiteful and vengeful individual. doesn't matter where they are on the political spectrum. That's true. But the average American, deeply conspiratorial, deeply suspicious of their fellow man, and then you get you get people going in this back and forth with each other. And it's you're thinking to yourself, these are anonymous people, probably on the opposite side of the country, who are hating each other right now for no reason other than they disagree about vaccines or they disagree about Donald Trump. But they're going at it like, you know, just like, uh, I don't know, like cats in a backyard, feral cats. They're just trying to tear each other down as much as they possibly can. And I think to myself, where was the period of time where we could just say, I, I agree to disagree with you. Like, Spike, you and I disagree on, I don't know how many political topics. Right. The, the idea that I would begin to malign your character or like you know, call your character into question because of your political you know, uh, affiliation is ridiculous. But Twitter lets people do that. And I think that's why it's such an awful platform. And that's why I go there every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it serves a function of your brain chemistry. That, you know, when you when it itches, you scratch it and it keeps itching. It's just that's human nature. It really is. And I, I think you're right about the fact that we we're in a cold civil war right now. We really yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we have yeah. become so I don't want to say divisive. We become divided. We it is it is full on entrenched. And I, th and I if I may 10,000 foot view of this whole thing, I think it's because there's money. And I mean, of course, there's money in doing that. That is a means to a business end, dividing us, pitting us against each other, because all the eyeballs on this side go right here for all the bunker sales, bullets, gold bullion you want to buy, and all the others, <laughs> and all the people on that side of the aisle goes for the commercials for uh, for this this pharmaceutical, that pharmaceutical. My my skin itches. I've got restless leg syndrome. All the yeah, things. I mean, that's yeah. we're being sucked into those advertising models because you know we we can't. We can't even stomach looking at another point of view, right? And, we, like and we've been told, the, yeah, we've been told that 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 side they don't just disagree; they hate your country, they hate right, your country. Yeah. yeah, and that is what I see on Twitter more than anything else: is people making wild accusations about each other with no evidence whatsoever. Well, so, <laughs> evidence evidence just gets in the way of a good story. <laughs> I mean, it really does. When, when everyone is a journalist, journalism has died. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and right. a lot of these people, they don't really know. They don't really know how to argue or debate. So they pivot a lot. So if the topic was, you know, we're going to talk about Joe Biden's uh, uh, the, the classified documents later. Mm -hmm. If if it's that topic, instead of focusing on, 
why did Joe Biden have classified documents in his garage? It then becomes about Joe Biden is a hologram. Uh, <laughs> Joe, <laughs> Joe Biden didn't win the election. Uh, and then it goes into globalism and it gets right. into, so people don't know how to focus anymore because we've become so frenetic in talking about any one particular issue that people just pivot and pivot and pivot. So you get to the bottom of a Twitter thread and you're oh Alice in Wonderland yeah. at that point in time. You're not even talking about Joe Biden classified documents. You're talking about, you know, some crazy alien conspiracy from eight years ago, proving that Obama is a lizard. Person. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I just love that Hunter, you know, rolled up the documents and snorted stuff through them. That's my favorite part of the whole story because that's, you know, that's I, I am so sorry that I voted for Hunter Biden so many times. I really can't believe he earned my vote so many times. It's just ridiculous. Hey, uh, Spike, how much I forget the what's the show clock here at Cairo Radio? I constantly forget. We got another couple minutes here, right? We, we got about four minutes to go here. If you want to if you want to okay. get back to the, the layoffs and, well, in the well, tech sector or or anything else, man, there's so much well, in the world that's that's worth chewing on. The other thing I wanted to touch on, because I know that you're you're a man in a band, you're a man in a rock and roll band. Yeah. And uh, I was looking at this Ticketmaster thing. Chris Martin is in a band. Andrew, I know you're in a band. You pl you play the kazoo, I believe, is your instrument of choice, correct? My, my instrument is the uh, radio station control board, is what it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> he's got like he's got a Moog synthesizer in there, but you don't realize the technology you have, you could make an Emerson Lincoln Palmer album. You really could. So, Probably, yeah. So. So this Ticketmaster case is getting really big, and I don't think people realize how much this actually affects people in general because Ticketmaster is effectively a monopoly. Live, Live Nation is effectively a monopoly, and this is affecting not only the consumer but also the the bands. And so now it's this is a a, a case that is at the highest levels of, of of law at this point in time, right? Well, it, it didn't matter what Ticketmaster was doing to their customer base until certain members of Congress couldn't get Taylor Swift tickets for their granddaughters. That's when they started to care. I'm serious. That's when it took it took Taylor Swift to burn the system to the ground so that right. Congress finally realized, hey, you know, maybe there's some antitrust issues here. Maybe there's some right. business manipulation going on, and maybe it affects some of our constituents. Yeah, Ticketmaster and Live Nation merged. Was it ten years ago? Or, or no, in twenty yeah. in twenty ten, I think they that uh, Live Nation bought Ticketmaster. And there was a there's a great piece of tape, and I, and I believe Chris got it for us. It is uh, a, a member of the band. Oh God, what's the band? Lawrence is the is the name, and and it's you know, Clyde Lawrence is the founding the titular player in that band, if you will. And he spoke before Congress and had. Uh, the best two-minute dissertation of what Ticketmaster is doing and how they do it and, and its effect on the industry and the customer base. So I'm going to play this real quick. And it's two minutes, and it tells you exactly why this problem is brought to national attention and why it deserves a hearing before Congress. Most of the issues we face stem from the fact that Live Nation Ticketmaster often acts as three things at the same time, the promoter, the venue, and the ticketing company. Let's imagine we just played a sold-out show at a venue Live Nation owns and operates. When an artist plays these venues, they're required to use Live Nation as the promoter. And I should take a moment to prove or to point out that Chris and Andrew and I will never have the kind of stature where we have any of these problems. Mm. We, our bands will <laughs> never be this hatcher. But I digress. Let's let's play the tape. Far from simply advertising, the promoter coordinates and pays the upfront cost to put together a concert, such as renting and staffing a venue and striking a deal with the performer. 
Since both our pay and theirs is a share of the show's profits, we should be true partners aligned in our incentives. Keep costs low while ensuring the best fan experience. But with Live Nation not only acting as the promoter, but also as the owner and or operator of the venue, it seriously complicates these incentives. At the end of the show, costs will have eaten into most of the money made that evening, and due to Live Nation's control across the industry, we have practically no leverage in negotiating them. If they want to take 10% of the revenues and call it a facility fee, they can and have. If they want to charge $30,000 for the house nut, they can and have. And if they want to charge us $250 for a stack of 10 clean towels, they can and have. Once these costs, some of which went to Live Nation subsidiaries, are taken into account, the remainder is split between Live Nation and the band. In a world where the promoter and the venue are not affiliated with each other, we can trust that the promoter will look to get the best deal from the venue. However, in this case, the promoter and the venue are part of the same corporate entity. So these line items are essentially Live Nation negotiating to pay itself. Does that seem fair? The tickets were listed at $30, and our pay ended up shaking out to about $12 of each ticket. But in this hypothetical show, the fan did not pay $30 for that ticket. The fan paid $42 because Ticketmaster tacked on a 40% fee. And for the record, we've had them go as high as 82%. That's the kind of problem we're facing, is that you have uh, the, the promoter, the venue, and the ticket agent all the same pair of pants. And that money goes into their pocket three different times. The only way this is going to be resolved to help the consumer is to break this monopoly up. The fact that Ticketmaster and Live Nation were able to merge to begin with, given that they own the venues... And they right. own the ticketing facility. And, and they promote the shows. Live Nation Promotion is the biggest show promoter in America, if not the globe. Then they, they got you until you break them up. Is that what's going to yeah. happen? Yeah. And, you know, Spike, I like to consider myself to be a filthy capitalist. But this is pretty gross when you look at the way that they have cornered the market and you look at the way that they're charging people. I mean, I told you this, you know, a, a couple hours ago, but I saw a, a young individual in New York wanted to go see Lady Gaga. They paid $800 for a ticket. I don't know why. And they had like a $400 <laughs> charge on top of that. On the so service one fee. Night, right. The service fee. Yeah. Yeah. A, a $20 so, ticket is, is produced the same way as a $800 ticket. The fact that, that <laughs> service charges are a percentage of the ticket face value yeah. is insulting, if not criminal. And I think they're going to find it's criminal. I really do. I think this is going to be a ret- It's never going to go back to, you know, a reasonable price, but maybe. Maybe, uh, you know, a $12 service fee for no matter what your ticket price would be fair. Right. Yeah, I agree. I you agree. would hope. So, uh, yeah. So when we get back, Spike, what are we talking about, my friend? Are we going into, oh, the Oscars. That's right. The we, Oscars well, are coming up. You know, Taylor <laughs> Swift burned the uh, ticket industry down. Let's see if uh, the movie industry can kill its own uh, its own celebration in the Oscars. Does anybody really care about the Oscars anymore? It's Cairo Middays, 12 to 3 with Jack and Spike and you. And we hope you hang around with us. We'll be right back. Spike O'Neill, Jack Stein, along with me. And I know that we were trying to take a look at the gun violence issue, but we ran out of time. Mm -hmm. We had to move on to something more serious. You know, the inflation rate in the third, fourth quarter of 2022 is 6.1%. They expect inflation to be down to 6% at the end of the first quarter of 2023. But what if inflation was 
Well, that's what a lot of businesses expect you to do for your bill when you are asked to tip. These days, tipping is, boy, it's a given. It's not even a, it's not even a, a thank you or an addition for excellent service anymore. It's become an mm-hmm. expectation in a lot of places. In most places I go into, and you, you know, that these days all the transactions are digital. And you swipe your card or tap your card, and they spin the little tablet around, and you're given the options of tipping 18, 15, 20% on your bill. Is tipping out of hand? Do you tip, Jack? Are you a tipper? I am a tipper. I tip very well. I do not like that my before, when, when I would tip somebody, if it was, let's say it's a $50 meal or something like that. And I go and I do the math in my head and I go, okay, well, that's $8 or $9. Or if I'm feeling generous, maybe that's a $10 tip. Now, if you notice on the receipt that they give you, it's the most passive aggressive thing in the world where they have the actual amount that you are supposed to tip incrementally going from 18 to 20 to 22%. And it's $9.47 or $10.26 or whatever it is. Um, I was actually at a restaurant this is last week. And the service was great. I was happy about the service. But they had this new mechanism that they do at this restaurant, which surprised me, which is the waitress brings you the card swipey thing. And then you swipe your card and she flips it around. It's like a little phone that she has in her hand. And right. then she points it. She holds it in your face. And you then have to look at this poor woman while you hit 18% instead of 20% for her tip. And it is the most passive aggressive. Uh, it is a it's a, a high stress scenario for me because I I appreciate her service, but it was not twenty two percent service. It was fifteen percent service, which I am happy to give. But now she is standing directly in front of me, holding this this machine in front of me that is basically like a it's like a I don't know like a an android or something like that that's right. taunting me. She's got time. she's got a locket around her neck with a picture of her kids opened up so you can see <laughs> she's got to support these two babies at home. Right. You know her and husband just lost this. his tech job, you know. <laughs> you know what what gets me is um, you know we transition to you know to go food so much during the pandemic. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I want to say right here, I'm, I'm an over tipper by nature. I was raised behind a bar. My parents owned the neighborhood tavern in Baltimore where I grew up. So I've worked service for a long, long time before I got into, into radio. And I know what good service is and I know what it's worth. And I know uh, most people in the service industry make the majority of their income on tips. I get the value of tipping. I get how important it is to their livelihood. But you know, when I'm taking food to go, and somebody flips the tab- the tablet around, and I'm asked if I want to tip 18, 20, 22% on a to-go order. I'm like, you, you put the food in a bag, and you want 20% of my bill total? <laughs> yes. Putting it in a bag? Yes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and and they, they do offer a custom tip option in most of these places. It's not like our only choice is to stiff them or right. you know, offer if 18, 20, 22%. And I'll, I always throw five bucks. No matter how big our and no matter how big our order is, if I get an order of twenty dollars, I'll tip five bucks. If I get an order of one hundred and twenty bucks, I'm still tipping five bucks because all you did was put it in a bag. And, and I, wow. hope that's, I hope that's not. I mean, you know, it'd be one thing if I was sitting at a table and they had to bring you know seven different entrees and three different courses and clean up the plates and <laughs> refill our waters and our iced teas and whatevers. <laughs> then that's service. Yeah. That's good service. That's a tip earned. You know. Okay. A, 
do you tip the Uber Eats people cash, or do you tip them in the app? This I, is a very I, I will never pay more to bring my food than I pay for my food. I have wow. never. I have never DoorDashed, Uber Eats, Grubhub. I have never. Wow. I have never hired a bring me the food service to my home. <laughs> my, my daughter lived in New York for eight years, and that's it's been common there for so long. Delivery services in, in Brooklyn. And yeah. she and she's ready to just at the moment's notice call up you know Uber Eats and bring the blah 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 blah. I said, sweetie, for that kind of money, I'll get in the car and I'll go pick it up. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> right, but Spike, it's the convenience of having somebody go to because I've been horribly clinically depressed for six months, so I basically only Uber, Uber Eats is like I'm keeping their stock price way above you know what it should be. Do you know what I mean? Like, hey, are, are, you, a, are you serious about that? Have you have you? Um, and I hope I, I don't mean to pry, but you just laid that out there. Have you literally been depressed and nothing but Uber eating at home? No, that's a bit. I okay, okay, I'm sorry, because I think I know why you're depressed. <laughs> no, Get out of no, your no, damn no. apartment. Walk down no, to a hot I dog do stand. I do it like I do it like maybe once a week. Okay, so okay, if, cool. If, I, it's, if there's a lapse in the grocery day, I will Uber eat something because it's worth my time to Uber Eats rather than get in the car and go to the grocery store. No, right? and, so. and, I, and I get the value of it. I get the convenience of it. You're right. It's a great service. I just don't. I just don't partake in it. I'm. I'm. That's how old I am. It's like get off my lawn moment for me. As I will not pay somebody to bring me food unless it's a pizza. I'll pay a guy well, to bring some, me a pizza. You know. Some of these, some of these, some of these guys and gals that come to my home and drop off a sandwich or whatever, I tip them in the app, and so okay. they have gotten their tip, and then they they hand me the bag and I say thank you very much, and then they stand there, and I know that they are expecting me to hand them a five dollar oh, bill. Wow! And I never do it. I go, I have my transaction with you is complete. Thank you very much. This is not a drug deal. I have paid you through the <laughs> app. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna palm you twenty dollars for a subway sandwich. Like, thank you so much. And I, I get negative ratings on Uber Eats because wow. I don't tip people out in cash. Yeah, it's really, really annoying. It's really irritating. Um, you know, people have just, and I get it. People have come to expect ridiculous amounts of tipping. And they have, yeah. Was that is that a pandemic post effect? You think? Yes, because, because we relied so much on this industry. And let's be fair, that industry did save a lot of people Dur during the pandemic when we couldn't go to places, yeah. when we couldn't go out, we couldn't leave our homes. They saved I a remember, lot of folks. Yeah, there was. There's a a, um, a restaurant that I really like. It's a Mexican food restaurant. I love the place, and it was it was closed during the during coronavirus. And when they were able to open up for a very short period of time before they had to close again, I went there and I intentionally tipped the waitress fifty percent because I know she hadn't worked for two right. months or whatever it was. Right. And so I said, "I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much." Uh, and I, I don't know her personally, but I had been there so many times, it felt like I knew her personally, and so I left her a very large tip. Now I feel like that same sentimentality has spilled over. So now the tip minimum has bumped up from previously it was 10% or 15%. And right. now they're asking for 22% tips. And that's just un unrealistic. Yeah, it, it has clicked up. It used to be 10, 15, right? 18, right, if, yeah. 18 if they danced on top of the table for you. And it's, I don't always, <laughs> I don't always eat at those kind of places, but the steaks are really good for some reason, you know, but now like 22%, seriously, what, what do you, did you carve, did you make the guacamole at my table? Did you mix up the Caesar salad and let me crack the egg in there? I mean, if it's, you know, I love the little, the, the, the group dining at the, like the hibachi kind of restaurants, right? Yeah. And they throw food at you. That guy gets a tip. That guy's, he's making a choo-choo train out of onions and it's great. It's entertainment. <laughs> you know, I get it. But, but just, you know, bringing me a sandwich. 
you know, and right, right. When, when you've tipped, you you've tipped once in the app, and they want right. more. Uh, have you ever thought they of not cash. not tipping in the app because because you're going to give them the cash anyway? You you have to. It's obligatory. So there's no option for me to not tip that individual no, in really? the Uber Eats app. So it's it's minimum. It's I think the minimum is ten percent. Or I don't know. I, I'd have to pull it up. I, I should order something right now, Spike, and we'll find out. You know, it's funny <laughs> to it, me. To me, tipping seems so bass backwards because yeah. when, when I was a barfly, when I was uh, you know before I moved to Seattle and I was out clubbing in Baltimore. I would tip first. I'd go up to a bar, order a round of drinks, and then throw a $20 bill at the bartender. Cause that, cause that guy looked for me all night long. He was, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he just seed the ground, grease the yeah. skids early and let him, <laughs> let him know who he's dealing with. I like, <laughs> I like this strategy, man. I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I gotta, I gotta work on my radio voice here, Spike. I'm no, starting to get a little dry. No, ju- just be you do you, buddy. Yeah. This is, I'm there having a blast. Yeah. I hope folks at home, are enjoying our time together here at Cairo Cairo News Radio. I know Brandy is taking a few days off to fulfill some personal obligations. I think, by the way, she's doing a phenomenal job with the 12 to 3 show, giving an impossible situation after we lost Dory. Um, We appreciate you guys giving us a chance to just air our grievances with the world. We've got a lot of stuff to be mad about. Um, We hope you're enjoying your time with us, and we'll be right back after these. When we come up, um, are you familiar with the show Rick and Morty? Oh yeah, big fan. You're a fan, and it's oh, yeah. it's the creator of Rick and Morty has sunk his own battleship yeah, through through rough. extracurricular activity, and it's going to cost all of you the artwork that you've come to know and love. So the uh, I'm vindicated today, Spike O'Neill. Did I tell you about this? I am vindicated from a YouTube video that I made back in October. I now feel as if I have been redeemed in the eyes of my audience, and I could not be happier as a result of it. Tell me more. Uh, these are rare. So I was uh, the day after Paul Pelosi was brutally attacked. I decided to debunk another political commentator saying all the awful stuff about Paul Pelosi right. that he had hired. Uh, you know, that he had hired David uh, DePepe as a as a male escort. Right. I, he I heard all the. It was horrific. All, the narrative, all of the stuff that, yeah. that, that it was faked, that it was staged. How could the glass break on one side of the window? So on and so forth. So I went through. I don't know. It, it, I think it's a 30-minute YouTube video. And I went through and I debunked every single claim that this guy made. I won't mention him by name, but I did a very good job of it, if I do say so myself. And in my comment section, I had people say to me, Jack, you are blind. That Jack, you don't know what you're talking about. Jack, uh, this is uh, highly conspiratorial. Uh, I'm never watching your YouTube again. All, all, that, all, that, all that kind of stuff, right? And as sad of, as a circumstance that it is that I am right here, uh, there's something about that, that video coming out, which is unbelievably embarrassing for everyone in conservative media who decided to viciously and maliciously uh, make fun of Paul Pelosi when he had been brutally attacked with a hammer. I think that anybody out there, whether it's Carlson or, or, or anybody at the Daily Wire or, or anybody else that perpetuated or, or even joked about this kind of stuff, I, I think today is unbelievably embarrassing for them because the police report, which was released when Paul Pelosi was attacked, describes the circumstance. I read it on my YouTube channel. And what they described in that police report is exactly what happened to Paul Pelosi. 
But for weeks, we heard from conservative commentators, oh, this is the Pelosi influence covering this up, making it something. This is the Pelosi money here in San Francisco, making sure that people will never know the real truth. And then lo and behold, this video comes out. It's exactly the way that the police described it. To a T. Will anybody who mocked Paul Pelosi, who I'm not saying is, you know, I'm not on Paul Pelosi's team or whatever. Right. (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm not a fan of the Pelosi's, but I'll take well, anybody who mocked the guy or ridiculed the guy or or lambasted the man. Is anybody going to apologize? Is anybody say, hey, you know what? We actually probably shouldn't have mocked and ridiculed an 80 something year old man who was almost beaten to death with a hammer. Should we maybe is is Carlson going to release a statement? You remember the show that he did the day after Paul Pelosi was attacked? Absolutely. He was winking and nodding at this QAnon type uh, thing. Is he going to release a statement where he says, hey, you know what, you guys, I made some really crass jokes at a, at a, at a man's expense and, I, and I'm going to apologize. I would. If I had said that kind of stuff, Spike O'Neill, I would be on uh, this show that, that day. I would be saying, hey, you know what, you guys, I was way out of line. That was wildly inappropriate. And I regret my decision making around that being that my animus for the Pelosi's is, is such an extent that I was blinded by my own rage and hatred for people that I don't know. Maybe maybe that's something that I would say. Spike. Well, you you being a, a person of character uh, from that last two, three minutes, I can tell you, yeah. you, you would do the right thing, whereas I'm not sure Tucker and I don't mean to, you know, ju- judge Tucker Carlson. I don't know what's in his heart, but, you know, he'll give his audience what he what they want. That's what he always yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Does yeah, his, yeah, does yeah. His, here's a question. Not whether or not he's he's human enough to admit the horrific take he took on this and the way he exploited the situation to sell his brand to his audience yeah for weeks by the way is that what his audience wants for him to be human and admit he was wrong no no i think they didn't want him to double double down on it there's a a glitch in the in the footage where where the police report says this but if we look at the footage it actually shows that uh, he's holding a tom collins instead of holding (laughs) (laughs) you've all seen these souvenir glasses you can buy them at any thing store if you squeeze the hammer the tonic water comes out no i i you're right that's because that's what his audience wants right you know, that's, and that that's heartbreaking to me for, for as, as little as I feel about the, the broadcast integrity of a lot of people on a lot of different channels from a lot of different points of view. I think people have sold out to make the audience, you know, keep coming back, give, give them what they want, give them what they fear, because what they really want is to give them come back because only you've got the answers. This is a safe place for you to get the real information, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and yeah. they'll keep feeding that beast they've created by this by this information. Or this misinformation, this disinformation. Because Tucker Carlson's a smart guy. He's not an idiot. He knows what he's doing. And he's, he's, he's a very num- smart guy. Yeah. He's the number one guy on cable television. He's the number one voice in media in America. He's not adult. Right. He's just soulless. Well, the, <laughs> the pr- that's not fair. <laughs> that's the problem with Carlson. I'll, I'll try to balance this out a little bit. Carlson's team often does really great journalism. I got to give him that. I've used Carlson's reporting many, many a time uh, in my own media career. The problem is, is that they bake a really great cake, but the icing that they put on top of it is conspiratorial. It's deep state. It's everybody's out to get you. The icing that they put on top of that actual journalism is the, is the is, most. It's, it's lead based. It, it really right. Is, it's caustic. Yeah. It's acrid it, and it destroys people's critical thinking skills. And so what you have then is a juxtaposition where there's you have a guy who's got a very, very uh, in-depth research team that occasionally does some really great journalism. 
And then on top of all of that, you've got some of the most hateful material that somebody could possibly put out on a regular basis. But it's just not limited to Carlson. It's almost anybody out there that decided to giggle at a man being almost beaten to death by a hammer. Gleefully so, by the way. Those people, I think people need to kind of rein it in a little bit as to who you are taking in, your media consumption, and say, why was I listening to someone? I don't want to mention any names. I don't want to get in trouble. No. Why was I listening to somebody uh, giggle and laugh at, at the idea that, that Paul Pelosi was assaulted by his gay lover? Right? I mean, this is, this is something that I think is beneath us as Americans. I'm not to get on my, my soapbox about this, no, no, but no, I think no. it's I, I appreciate beneath your point. us. I appreciate you hearing right. that because we, we disagree on a lot of different points of view for ideology. Ideologically, right. I guess is the right way to phrase that out. But, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but when it comes to being human and being a decent, there's there's a way to be human is a very famous right. quote like, I love. So, you know. so I'll give you an example really quick. When Rand Paul was assaulted in his uh, front yard by his neighbor, I didn't think that that was funny. I didn't no. think that that was funny at all. But I will say this, people like Colbert and people like uh, uh, Myers went on their show and they decided to make uh, uh, have jokes at the guy's expense, even yeah. though he had broken a couple of ribs and a wrist. Uh, I, I think that we have a, a cynicism problem in the United States with political actors that we don't like that then trickles down to the point where we are indifferent to the suffering of other human beings. And that, I think, is the most dangerous place that we can be as Americans. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll go one further. I think it's even more dangerous. It's one thing when you get it from media, when you get it from people who are trying to get, garner an audience that you can sell advertising to. That's their job, to get and engage eyeballs and keep them coming back. It's right. even more dangerous when we have elected officials who are yeah. championing that same point of view, that same cynicism, that same chuckling. You know, there was a story in the news today about a representative from Florida who sent grenades to everybody in yeah. his party as a thank you for being put on the Armed Services Committee. <laughs> right? Um, and I forget, the, I forget the guy's name. I apologize. Corey Mills. Corey, Corey Mills. Mills. Um, and Corey Mills, remember, is the guy who tweeted the next day, well, the day after Nancy Pelosi lost the speakership when the – Republicans gain control of the House. Well, now there's one less gavel for Paul Pelosi to use at his house. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the kind of inhuman, yeah. subhuman beneath beneath an elect, not just an elected official, but a member of anybody's community, regardless of what side you're on. That yeah, kind, that's that's where it's more dangerous when we have those kind of people making laws and deciding what's what our tax dollars should be prioritized toward to use. I like this. This was a good segment, Spike. Finding common cause between two people who wildly disagree on everything. <laughs> and, and again, before I try to grab some higher ground, I'm the guy that said he was glad to see an 83-year-old man in his underwear trending on Twitter on my 60th birthday. Um, not for the attack. I'm just glad that Paul's, you know, I'm glad he's making a, fu a full recovery. I, I, I hope, yeah. hope the best for him I and Nancy in their retirement years. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, it can't uh, come we'll take soon a, enough. There yeah. we go. <laughs> uh, you want to take us out, Spike?